Good morning. Did everybody get their eight hours of sleep last night? Yeah? Yeah? I, I did not. Um, you kind of find out on July 3rd and 4th which neighbors of yours are good and which ones are evil. Right? Um, well, if you're new here or visiting with us, my name's Victor. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Chapel. Uh, I'm going to read our scripture text for this morning. Um, we are in Acts chapter 19. I don't have a Bible. I'm going to grab one. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Can you turn with me there? Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. 
King Jesus, we have your book open before us, your words um, before us. And I think that there's a place for us, um, for each one of us who've found themselves here in this room. I think there's a place for them in this text. So help us find ourselves. Help us see you more clearly. Help us love you more wholeheartedly. And Lord, just I pray that you would use uh, the words that I'm about to, to speak, the words that I feel like you put on my heart to enliven faith, bring repentance and hope, resurrection hope, um, that the spirit that dwells in uh, these, my, my sisters and brothers, um, would well up within us. You'd remind us that we are so deeply loved by you because of Jesus and that we would worship you. Pray that worship would uh, be just the, the sum of, of all that we do, uh, including this sermon. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this summer, we're going through Paul's missionary journeys in the, the second half of the book of Acts. And it's just good to refresh. Why, why are we doing this? Why are we going through these missionary journeys? I think it's, it's good to go back to the beginning of something, to remind ourselves of its purpose. And that's what we're doing in Acts. We're looking at the very beginnings of our family history. We're looking at the start of the church. What did it look like? So that we can remind ourselves, what are we doing here? What's our purpose we can take away that which doesn't belong. We can apply the story of Jesus to our lives and to our communities so that we look and live and love like Jesus wants us to. So that's what we're doing in Acts. And today we're back in the city of Ephesus. We're, we're back in Ephesus and we're at the beginning of Paul's vast work in this city. So last week, Scott preached um, on the second half of chapter 19. And we found, we saw that Ephesus is this booming metropolis within the province of Asia. And it's because of its, its geographic location. It's, it's along a number of very important land and sea routes. It's a city that's just accustomed to power. It knows power. Not only economic power, but, but spiritual power. Because remember that Ephesus, it housed the temple of Artemis, this great god that was known throughout Asia. It was a city that was very hospitable to magic, to sorcerers, uh, to all forms of religious uh, practices. And we'll see a lot of that here in our text this morning. So what happens when Paul the apostle comes into this city full of uh, sorcery and magic and, and religious practice, and he starts talking about the kingdom of God or the way of Jesus. Well, we'll find that he encounters three different groups, three different groups of people. First, the uninformed. Second, the superstitious. And thirdly, the repentant. I'll say those one more time. The uninformed, the superstitious, and the repentant. The first two have serious misunderstandings about Jesus, 
who is the mighty one, as we'll see in our text. And it, it's going to be good. It will, it'll be good for us to consider these folks because we have our own misunderstandings about Jesus too. The last group sees Jesus clearly. They see Jesus, the mighty one, clearly. So let's look at the first group that Paul encounters. This is the uninformed. So look, at with, look with me at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Some disciples. So this word here for disciples, it's used throughout Luke and the book of Acts in referring explicitly to followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. However, something must have been up. Something about these folks must have seemed off to Paul because he asked them a pretty probing question about their faith. In verse 2, look with me there. He asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. So their answer reveals that they're actually not followers of Jesus. They've heard about Jesus through the ministry of John the Baptist. They've heard about Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry, it pointed to Jesus. Paul says in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And Luke writes down John's words in Luke chapter 3. So Luke is also the the author of Acts. In Luke 3, though, he says, um, he who is mightier than I is coming. These are John's words. He who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We're very familiar, some of us, with those words. These disciples, though, these would-be Christians, they hadn't heard about Jesus, that he'd come. They'd heard about him, but not that he had come, that he had sent his promised Holy Spirit. And so they were kind of living in a sort of time warp with with a half-baked understanding of who Jesus was. They thought that they were disciples, but they weren't. They thought that they knew Jesus, but they actually didn't know him fully. And this reminds me, like, just think if you went over to a friend's house and, um, you were like, hey, let's order some pizza. And so they, they go over to their desktop and they, they hop on the internet using dial-up. I don't know if, I hope many of you know what this, but like, you know, like that sound. It's like they start, they log onto the internet using dial-up and you're just sitting there like, what are you, what are they doing? Like, and you, you get out your iPhone and you pull up the Domino's app and you show them, Like, did you know that this existed? And it blows their mind. So they're still living like it's the 90s. They're using dial-up internet, and they have no idea until you show them, hey, like, there's this thing called 5G, Wi-Fi, and I can order pizza using what's called an app. 
on my phone. And they're just blown away because they didn't know. It's, it's very similar to what's going on here in Ephesus with these disciples because John the Baptist has been dead for about 20 years. He's been gone for 20 years. So these disciples have been living with this half-baked belief in Jesus for two decades, not knowing that Jesus has come, not knowing that he sent his spirit So Paul instructs them about the mightier one who has come. And in verse 5 we read, they were baptized in or into the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is the first of three times, I want you to follow along. This is the first of three times that this phrase occurs in verses 1 through 20. The name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? In its use within the Bible, a person's name represents that person's character. Everything that's true about that person. So for these disciples to be baptized into that name is a sign of identifying all of who they are. All of who they are with that person. Letting their life serve as a representative of King Jesus. I think Paul sums it up well when he says just the reality about the Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Every part of who I am points to Christ. Being baptized into his name, that's what that means. So look at verse six. In believing in Jesus, the faith of these uninformed would-be disciples, it's completed. And they receive that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are immediately present in their lives. So isn't it interesting, I just, I think I learned a lot about the heart of God just while studying this text. Um, It's interesting that for 20 years, 20 years, these men thought that they knew everything there was to know about Jesus. They thought that they had the full picture, but they actually didn't. They didn't. They thought that they were disciples, but they actually weren't. I think the heart of God is evident here, just in his patience and his provision. He he lets you and myself hold incomplete beliefs about him for long periods of time. He's so patient. Yet, he also provides. He reveals himself to us through the simple ministry of folks like Paul, folks like you, who say what's true about Jesus to other people so that half-baked truths about him turn into hallelujahs, right? That, that these incomplete faiths are completed, that people are filled with God's empowering spirit. So what do we learn from this first group? We can believe things about Jesus, but not belong to him. We can believe things about Jesus, but not belong to him, even though we think we do. It's hard, I think, to find someone here in the Midwest, someone who, who hasn't heard about Jesus, right? It's hard to find someone who hasn't heard the name of Jesus. Um, and, and someone like who, who doesn't identify as a, a Christian. But that doesn't mean that they've been baptized into his name. That they are his, that they identify all of who they are with all of who Jesus is. And a lot of the time, it's not because of like a hostility that they hold against Jesus or against his, his church. Like these disciples, it's simply because they just need to be told more about him. 
Jesus who's come, who's sent his spirit, and who's going to come again. So this first groups of folks misunderstood Jesus because they were just uninformed about him. So let's take a look at the next group, the superstitious. So look at verses 8 through 10. Paul takes the new disciples, uh, these, these people who have believed in him, and he goes into the synagogue in Ephesus, and he reasons with the Jews there. And when he faces opposition, he leaves and preaches about the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. And he's there for a long time. He has an extensive ministry in this city. He's there, uh, Luke tells us, for two years, two whole years. And during that time, people come to believe in, G- in Jesus, and others see the power of God working through Paul, and they just have a different response. So look at verses, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So Ephesus, it was hospitable, like I said, to magicians and sorcerers. These things don't just happen in Harry Potter books. It was a city profoundly influenced by the occult, And we see God, he meets these people where they're at. Do you see it? Like these aprons and handkerchiefs that touch the skin of Paul, they're carried away to these people, these talisman-like objects, which the people in Ephesus would have been very, very familiar with. They're carried away to these people, and people are healed. Evil spirits are coming out of them. And I think for some, I imagine that these objects, it, that actually worked to heal them, pointed them to the God who was doing things through Paul. But for others, it turned them inward. It made them ask, like, how can I use this power for myself? So look at verses 13 through 14. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So I realize that um, for some of our modern ears or, or the, the modern ears of our neighbors that we rub shoulders with every single day, it's, it's weird to hear about evil spirits or demons, right? It's just weird. At worst, superstitious, hocus-pocus stuff like this, it makes us discount the reliability of the scriptures. Like, that's in there? Well, that means none of it can be true. At best, we, or our other-than-Christian neighbors, they, we just assume the intellectual high ground. We say things like, well, you know what? They didn't have just the science-based research and understanding of mental health issues like we do today. So they're just, they're naive, and, and they didn't know what was going on, so they used their religion to kind of explain what was happening. But I just, um, I think that if, if we have any interest in Jesus, we need to just come to terms with the fact that he was God. He knew everything because he made everything in the world, in the cosmos, and he identified He spoke with, he opposed personal 
evil entities called demons. He knew that demons existed. And he also knows about schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. He identified, he knew that demons existed. And so when me, this middle-class, highly educated, um, sane, as far as I can tell you, person experiences an oppressive presence of darkness and evil when I'm spending a summer in India, a presence that, that vanishes when I speak the name of Jesus. I don't chalk that experience up to eating like bad curry or um, I don't explain it away with a, a mental health diagno- diagnosis. I see it through the lens of, of Jesus' view of the world. And I, I say, I experienced an evil, demonic presence that fled at the name of Jesus. And you might have questions about that. I know that many of my neighbors do when I tell that story. And we just need to get coffee and talk about it. But here we have the second occurrence of this phrase, the name of the Lord Jesus. However, Luke is, is careful here to mention that these exorcists, they have no personal allegiance to, to this name. So look at verse 13. They call Jesus, what do they call him? The Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So instead of being baptized into his name, they've just simply witnessed the mighty one's power and they want to use it for themselves. And it doesn't go well with them or for them. So look at verses 15 through 16. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Uh, this, this word overpowered in verse 16, look at, look at that word real quick. It has the same root as the word that John uses to describe Jesus as the mightier one in Luke chapter 3. It seems that in the end, the sons of Sceva, they're either going to be overpowered by the mightier one, that is Jesus, by submitting to his rule and reign, or they're going to be overpowered by evil spiritual forces that are bent on their harm and their shame. So, um, obviously, like, it's, it's the 4th of July, uh, happy Fourth of July! I have like fireworks on the brain, and like every single year, my family tells this story about me as uh, I was I was a thirteen year old boy playing tournament ba- baseball, and we were traveling. It was it was the weekend of the fourth, and I had somehow gotten my hands on a package of water dynamite. Yeah, baby. Um. Very powerful stuff. And me, with my 13-year-old brain, I thought, I'm going to use this powerful firework to make people like me. I, and so what we did was, we, you know, we got a hotel, and in between practices, we, <laughs> we went to the bathroom, and we were taking turns just throwing water dynamite into the toilet, and shutting the lid, and running out of the room. And... Um, so what, what was I doing here? I, I was trying to use the power of this firework 
to make people, to, to, to benefit me, to make people like me without submitting myself to the knowledge that these things are very, very powerful. And I actually didn't know what I was doing. What ended up happening was I threw probably my fourth water dynamite into that toilet and it just couldn't handle it anymore. It literally cracked the bowl to the floor and water just started gushing everywhere. And it was not good. It did not end well for me. I, I wasn't able to play any long, like in the tournament. My parents took me out of the tournament. I still had to go to the games and just like watch my friends have fun. Um, we had to pay for a new toilet and sneak it into the hotel and install it. Uh, that came out of my allowance. Like, so I just, I, I um, was embarrassed. I was ashamed because I thought I had control. I thought I could use this power for my benefit. And it didn't end well for me. Like these exorcists, um, they tried to exploit the power of God for their own gain. And it doesn't end well. So what do we learn from this group? There are folks who want Jesus's power without the commitment. Who want to be kind of like friends with benefits with Jesus. At best, this is the person who, when they just desperately need a parking spot, they say a little prayer, but avoid the covenant commitments of entering into a relationship with Jesus who asks them to take up their cross and follow him. At worst, it's, it's just all the stories that we become used to, that we've come to expect about Christian ministers who use God to get rich and powerful, whose careers end in scandal and embarrassment because they thought they could control and manipulate just an uncontrollable God. So these first two groups misunderstood Jesus, the mighty one. Some were simply uninformed, which resulted in an incomplete faith. Others were superstitious. They had witnessed the power of God. They wanted to exploit it for their own gain. Let's look at this final group. Look at verse 17. This event becomes known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So the third and final time we read about the name of the Lord Jesus. It was extolled, praised, magnified. Why? Because the residents, the people of Ephesus, they saw just these powerless pagan attempts by the Jewish exorcists to overpower evil spirits, and it led them to see things clearly. First, they saw that the pagan magic that they were still attached to was useless, powerless. Second, they saw that the power of Jesus was the only thing superior to that of the demons, And I think that sometimes God is kind to show us the downfall of the things that we trust in in, so that we see him more clearly. For me, I mean, it's it's as simple as uh, my dryer breaking this week. It's just like, it's cars or house stuff that if it goes, like, if it's working, I'm like, God is good. Everything is good in the world, but then when my dryer goes bad, it's like, there's a demon in my dryer, and I freak out, like, is God in control? 
Is God good? I mean, I'm joking about it, but it's like, what's, what's it for you? For me, it's, it's, it's the simple things like car troubles or I can't dry my, my pants. Um, what's it for you? This thing that, that God in his kindness just shows the, the, the powerlessness of, just the futility of, so that you see him more clearly. I, I wonder what, what that's been like for you just even this week. Um, but notice how this text, it speaks of God's patience here too. Um, according to verse 18, these people were believers. They believed in Jesus. They'd, they believed at some point during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus, but they'd remained kind of mixy-mixy with their religion. So Christians plus other stuff. Um, they'd kept their magical books around as sort of an insurance policy. And God patiently allowed this for a time. He allowed this. But when these people see the Jewish exorcist attempting to manipulate the power of God and then being overpowered themselves, they recognize that, man, Jesus is the mightier one. He, and he alone, has power over all evil spirits. Nothing can overpower or manipulate him. And they come to see their former practices in the right light. And seeing themselves and the things that they trusted in clearly leads them to action. Look at verses 18 and 19. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Scott mentioned this last week. The equivalent to today's currency, it would have been about $6 million. And I looked it up just for funsies, but... um, Dubai in 2014, it set the Guinness Book World of Record for the most expensive fireworks show in the world. And guess how much money it cost? Six million dollars. This is an expensive fireworks show, y'all. Uh, there's your fire, there's your Fourth of July illustration for you. Um, but the thing is, where it kind of, this isn't a demonstration of nationalistic pride. It's not. It's a public act of repentance. And how does Luke describe it? Look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Again, Luke uses this word for overpower or mightier in verse 20 that he used back in verse 16. But this time it's not describing the demons, it's the word of the Lord. It's the gospel of grace as it triumphs over all demonic powers, as it captivates human hearts, so that confession and repentance ensue, and God's name is glorified because they've seen the mighty one clearly, and it's put everything else in its right light. So we'll end here. Uh, Friends, God is not anxious about your incomplete faith. He's very patient. He's patient. He reveals himself to you through worship on the Lord's day, through the sacraments, through the preaching of his word, through the beauty of his creation. 
Secondly, he's not intimidated by those who want his power but want nothing to do with him because he's uncontrollable. He's the mighty one. And thirdly, he is kind enough to show us those who have been baptized into his name, who've, who've given themselves to him, to his purposes, he's kind enough to show the powerlessness of the things that we just keep around as insurance policies, just in case this whole like following Jesus thing doesn't work out. So that we would come to see him more and more clearly, this mighty one who overpowers all evil, who, whether we like it or not, he overpowers us. He overpowers us with his grace and his kindness so that the word of the Lord, the gospel of grace, spreads in us and through us. Let me pray. Jesus, you um, are the mighty one. Uh, You can't be controlled you cannot be manipulated to, uh, so that we get the things that we want. And I'm glad that you're not like that most of the time. Uh, I'm glad that in your kindness you do show us uh, just the powerlessness of the things that we have come to trust in apart from you. Uh, Lord, when you do that, would we, would we have eyes to see uh, that you, you're enough that you are enough, that you love us, that it's, it is your kindness that shows us the powerlessness of those things. Uh, Father, for those who are like those disciples of John who, who just have an incomplete faith, they, they, they know things about you, but they don't know you, they don't belong to you. I pray uh, even this morning, would, would they feel your pull on their heart to, to give themselves to you, to be baptized into your name, to, to be crucified with you, to die and become yours so that they become new creations and um, are filled with your spirit. God, I pray for all those things. Uh, thank you for your love for us, uh, your power in our lives that's ours because we belong to you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.